Welcome to Impacting Care, inspiring stories from people who are impacting care together by raising awareness or improving diagnosis and access to care for people living with hemophilia and other blood disorders in low and middle income countries. This podcast is produced by the Novo Nordisk Hemophilia Foundation. Hello and welcome. My name is Natalia Anderson and in this episode of Impacting Care, I'm talking to Wajiha Javid, Executive Member of the Haemophilia Foundation, Pakistan. Wajiha and I are going to talk about the bleeding disorder called von Willebrand disease and also going to discuss some of the bleeding disorder issues which are specific to women. Wajiha lives with von Willebrand disease type 3 and is also the proud elder sister of a boy living with the same condition. Hello everyone, my name is Wajiha. I am 24 years old and I'm currently doing my bachelor's in business administration. I am currently serving as a trader of Hemophilia Foundation Pakistan and I'm also the coordinator for the National Women Group. Hi Wajiha, welcome to the show. Hello, Natalia. It's great to be here. Thank you for joining me. Can you tell us where you are today? I am in Lahore, Pakistan. It's currently very hot over here, especially since Ramzan is going on. The heat is hitting extra hard on everyone. Could you tell me what are some of your interests outside of your work and the community work? I'm sure that you may have an idea, but this work also takes up a lot of your time. But outside of this, I'm a huge theater and music fan. I'm a huge K-pop fan, so, you know, that keeps me busy. Oh, wow. You and I have something in common then. Musical theater and K-pop. Let's talk about um, your condition. So how did you actually find out about your condition, Von Willebrand disease? Usually what happens is when you have an inherited bleeding disorder or a rare bleeding disorder, you catch it at the very early stages or when you're born. But what happened with me was that, as you told the audience before, that my younger brother also has the same condition. So what happened was that he got sick, really sick. He had some bleeding uh, collecting inside of his stomach, which was like, oozing out of his in his stool and everything so he had to be hospitalized i think he was two or one because i was right. three or four so right. what happened was we because there were not really like a diagnostic facilities over here in lahore so we were asked by the doctors to visit islamabad where after his examination my parents were asked to bring either you know their elder or any immediate sibling after him or before him. So mm. I was the only one at that time. So uh, that is how I got tested and diagnosed. Did you notice a shift in the understanding of your condition over the years with, with like your school teachers and friends? Did they get to know more about the condition over the years? That is definitely the case because when you're a child, what happens is they talk to your parents and they have this limited knowledge. They can't really talk to you, even 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 out of curiosity. But as as you start to grow older, as you start to get a better understanding of how you have to manage yourself or what you have, the people around you become aware of that because you are capable of you know telling them and answering all of their questions to a better understanding. And yes, it does help 
when I have to take off from this from the classes, usually what they do is they sit down with me and they talk about like, you know, why do you need the offs? Why are you sick this often? So when I talk about it now, it is like they understand it much quicker and they are more understanding than it was when I used to do that in school. As you're two years older than your brother, do you find that you have any experiences that will benefit him or that has benefited him? Oh, of course. Yes. I just, you know, overlook it and I just tell them that where do we need actual medical attention from professionals and what we can deal with ourselves. So that has benefited him in a great deal. How did you become active with the Haemophilia Foundation, Pakistan's women's group? At first, I wasn't really interested because when I first joined them, it was I was 16 years old. So, you know, at that time, I was like, just let me complete my O-levels and we'll see about that. But the doctor over mm-hmm. there, my overseeing doctor, Dr. Shaila, so Hela, I'm sure you know her by name. She kept asking my dad when he used to visit the society office with me that, you know, we're doing this thing. There are these people, they're just like her, that we're doing everything to provide better care for them, to make something of them. And I was, I kept delaying it, but just out of curiosity, because she kept saying things about it, that, you know, it'll be a good experience for you. You'll learn a lot. Yeah, so... I just went to a meeting and I don't know, something just clicked and I was like, you know, I am going to be a part of this. I I want to be a part of this. So after that, luckily I got elected as an executive member for the NMO board. So I just started going from there. And since that, we're still doing work. I got elected recently again for the new board as the treasurer. So still trying to do my work. No, no, please. Your role right now is uh, treasurer of the group. Yes, yes, as the treasurer of the Haemophilia Foundation Pakistan. What does that involve? So in addition to being the coordinator for the National Women Group, as the treasurer, I am to oversee the collection from all our chapters and to see if they have made it or not and to oversee the budgetary things and like the projects we get how are we to distribute the things and what project or what activities need funding when and do we have the means to provide it or not or do we need to raise some funds or contact some donors so I just overlook everything budget wise and you know monetary wise. And how would you say the group has evolved since it was established in 2017? So before the creation of the uh, National Women Group in Pakistan, how many members of the patient organization were women? We, were, we first started working on developing the National Women Group in 2016. So in 2016, when I joined the HFP, so we got into the talks and after you know much deliberation and a lot of hard work both foot and online so we developed the group we formed the group with a three-day workshop with a three-day orientation and capacity building workshop in 2017 and from 2017 till now we have a lot of a lot more girls you know joining us and taking 
actually having the confidence to talk about their complications or talk about their concerns, talk about their problems with us or with their parents. So now they are more vocal and we just see, we have, like I have seen a great shift in the attitudes of these girls who were just once like, they didn't even want to admit that they had a bleeding disorder or they were a female bleeder. So, you know, I think we have made great progress and our goal right now is still to, you know, attract as many women as we can to in the northern areas of Pakistan. How do you go about reaching out to other female bleeders and actually motivating them to join the group? What happens is that we have our patient registry. So our main target to target an area or a region of Pakistan is to going through the registry to finding out the female patients and try contacting them through the society means so they actually know that it's legit. And the parents have the confidence to send out their girls to outreach the society office. So what we do is what we create a safe place. We create a meeting point that they're comfortable with. And after the initial meeting, we just start talking. As said, you talk about themselves, you educate them because 80% of the girls that I have met were not actually fully aware of what is the disorder that they have and how they have to manage it and what happens when they are on their periods or what happens when they get the nosebleed. So it is really important to get that first meeting and get the parents mm-hmm. on board, especially our culture and our societal norms. You have to get the parents of the female bleeders on board first and then after getting them on board, you need to build some confidence. You need to tell the girls that, you know, it's fine. It's not a taboo or it's not a wrong thing. I have seen a lot of girls blossom into these fine young women through the years, and like who were once, like they weren't even able to speak in front of a room full of like even four people. And now they're doing all these seminars and then they're, presenting themselves on national and international forums. So I think we have done a great job of it up till now. You're listening to Impacting Care from the Novo Nordisk Hemophilia Foundation. If you're enjoying this episode, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast in your podcast player. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So what would you say um, are some activities that have strengthened the women's group? The first thing that I did with these girls was that we had a whole workshop, an orientation and capacity building workshop. And even after these activities, when we have women's sessions, I used to do this session with them. Like after two or three three of these sessions, like uh, the girls were much relaxed. And we still do it. We still like get together and whenever we have an activity, we would do a small session that we would just sit in a circle or sit together and we would just, you know, talk about the things that has been bothering them or that has been bothering me. And what do we think that at this stage of our life, where do we want to go or where do we, what do we need to do to get there? 
So I think these type of activities, apart from the other capacity building activities, I mean, this is the main thing that have, you know, actually made that bond between us and mm. strengthened all over, like, all over the strength of our group. The only downside is that we go a lot, like, we go through a lot of tissue boxes during these. So, mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What do you think is the next step to further advance the women's group in Pakistan? So uh, we're down to major cities. Like we have girls from Karachi. We have girls from Rawalpindi. We have girls from Lahore. The only area that we need to focus on and that has my focus right now is the area of the northern side of Pakistan and Peshawar. The culture over there is much conservative as compared to the as compared to these mainstream cities so what we are doing is that we are gonna reach them out personally and we're gonna go and we're gonna try to do the same thing that we did in Lahore and other cities of Pakistan so that is what our next goal is and to bring out women from these areas so they can get the proper treatment that they need and they can be comfortable in their own skin. What are the main benefits of having a national women's group? I think after the formation of the national women group, it was like you get a very clear representation of what your female body, what your female bleeder body is of the country. And after forming it, you give a platform to these girls to talk about their concerns, to talk about their problems and everything and to go about their ways. Because when you have, when you're in a normal setting, I'm, because girls are usually hesitant to talk about their menstrual cycles, to talk about their periods. And that is the main problematic area for any girl with a bleeding disorder. So you need to provide that private space at first to give them the confidence and you can better tailor the support that they need because it's very different from what men need at times and what women need. So you can't have a universal guidelines for both genders. So if without the proper support, without the proper counseling or mentoring, they they can be depressing at times and they can be you know, they can induce stress in ways that no human should have. What would you consider your biggest milestone as a member of the National Women's Group? I recently managed to raise funds to take take the National Women Group out on a retreat in the northern areas of Pakistan. So I think that that was like, that's something that the youth group even hasn't been able to do, you know, mm. raise funds on their own. And I just took all of my girls out on a day out to just enjoy and to study at the same time. So so I would I would definitely say the National Women Retreat, it was the very first one and it was a great one. We we had the girls from all over Pakistan and we just have had a very productive session and we had guest calls from NNHF as well over there. That was the biggest milestone that we have yeah. achieved so far, yes. 
Oh, that sounds wonderful. As it could provide some inspiration to some of our listeners, uh, could you share which activity organised at the uh, Women's Retreat um, was, in your opinion, the most enriching? The most enriching activity that we did at the first Women's Retreat was at the start of the retreat, I gave the girls the three papers, different colored papers, and I just told them to write their experiences and to write them any feedback on them, like you would in a journal, about the day that they spent. And after on the third day, we had this bonfire thing, and we were just sitting all together, and I just told them to, you know, just read them out or just share your experiences. Mm what you have written so it was a very great activity as you know all of the girls like they they get they got to know that how different the same thing that they have spent together was had a different impact on each of them and they had different learning things and it was it it got kind of emotional at one point as well because you know they wrote some things that you know that just touched different nerves for different mm-hmm. people so it was I, if I would like we did a lot of stuff we did a lot of learning things we did a lot of fun activities but the most impactful or the most enriching activity was definitely the reading of their three-day journal some of them knew each other and some of them were new faces and it just matters how you mediate them so they get close really quick. I mean, yeah. women, right? You just give them something to talk about and they'll be friends. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. That's exactly what I was thinking. And what would be your advice to patient organisations where women are not yet represented or patient organisations willing to establish a national women's group? As for the organisations that have not yet any representation from the women's side or female patients, I I would really suggest them and advise them to form some kind of body, even if they can't form a national body yet, or if they can't, they they can always start from a regional body and they can always start from the patients that they have inside their HDC or the chapter that they have formed. Because at this stage or at this era, it's really important to have the opinions and to have the point of view of both genders because when you're giving care, you can't just apply the standards that apply for male or females. You have you need to hear what the females actually have to say for themselves and what their concerns are. And for the organizations that are willing to establish their own national women group, it takes a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of nudging at people to get it all up and running but you know just don't stop don't give up and you'll definitely get there because you don't realize it yet but the women just give them the opportunity and they have so much potential to be explored that you'll be surprised so just keep at it just keep talking to them just get them comfortable and you'll definitely see the fruit of it. And lastly, if you could summarise your experience in three words, what would those be? Oh, in three words, okay. Uh, So the three words that I would pick to summarise this whole experience, the first one would be testing because, you know, as a fellow 
female bleeder, there were a lot of challenges that I had to face and there were a lot of ups and downs that, you know, I had to get myself out of. So uh, first one would be testing. And the second one would be rewarding. Rewarding, why? Because, you know, when you're doing this work, as I told you before, the girls, just seeing them, how they progress and to, you know, just finally seeing what your hard work could do for someone else and seeing the results, it's just, it's a reward in itself. So rewarding. And the third one would be worth it. You know, to finally see these girls flourishing and to achieving their dreams, to going about their way, to finally voicing their concerns and to not be hesitant anymore. I think all of it was just, you know, worth it. The whole experience, the whole hard work, just to see those expressions on their faces. Thank you so much, Wajiha, for talking with me today. Thank you so much, Natalia. Thank you so much for having me and listening to me. I really enjoyed my conversation with Wajiha Javid just now. Um, It really stuck out to me the personal moments that she spoke about when she mentioned the impact that she had on the lives of uh, these young girls and and young women who kind of view her as, as a role model now. Thanks for listening. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Were you inspired to impact haemophilia care in your country or region? Apply for a project with the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia Foundation. Visit nnhf.org. Bye for now. This podcast is intended for informational, educational and inspirational purposes only. Please speak with a healthcare professional before making any decisions related to your health. The interviews in this series are with project partners, people with bleeding disorders and volunteers who are impacting care with the Novo Nordisk Haemophilia Foundation. Our guests haven't received compensation and the views expressed are those of the people interviewed.